Well, for our second scripture reading today, we will be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. We will be reading verses 26 through 30. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1543. Page 1543. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it find that they are under the new covenant and covered by the blood. Just the other day, my my boys, they taught me this funny joke. And I kind of wish they were up here because they would really appreciate this. But if you guys want to hear it, then I'm going to need your help. So feel free to speak up and answer me when I ask my questions. All right? It goes something like this. Will you remember me in a minute? Yes. Will you remember me in an hour? Yes. Will you remember me in a day? Yes. Will you remember me in a week? Yes. Will you remember me in a year? Yes. Knock, knock. See, you've already forgotten me. (laughs) All kidding aside, what we find in our text for today is Jesus establishing a sacred tradition with his disciples. A tradition where one of the main purposes is to remember, is to think back, to ponder. This practice that we now call communion or the Lord's Supper is a way that we can remember our Lord and all that he did for us. But there's more to it than just remembrance. And this is what we'll discover today as we, as we go through this text. Now last, last week we, we started this final section in Matthew's Gospel. Chapters 26 through 28, we, we get the passion narrative. We, we, we find a time when, when Jesus was betrayed, when he was arrested, wrongfully convicted, crucified, and then victoriously risen from the dead. And we talked about how everything that we had read prior to this was, was pointing to these events. We spoke about how how it is this portion of Scripture that that lays out for us in graphic detail what is the focal point of God's redemptive plan. His redemptive plan for us. These are the things that are necessary in order for His salvific work to be accomplished. And if you recall, the, the first thing that we saw last week was the necessity of God's will in salvation. He needs to be the one who desires to rescue his people. 
He must be the one who, who instigates these events that led to, to Christ's saving work upon that cross. And though it was, it was the sinfulness of men that led to those circumstances, those sinful acts, they were encompassed within God's will. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. And now today, we're going to discover another necessity, another crucial ingredient in God's redemptive work. For what we're going to look at is the Last Supper, where Jesus establishes with his disciples a new covenant. Yes, in order for God to rescue his people, it was necessary for him to institute this new covenant. Let's look at our passage. Look at, look at verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. It was now Passover, and Jesus was in the middle of celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples. And if you remember, he had, he had already warned these men that one of them would betray him. And we know that one man to be Judas Iscariot. But what we see taking place here is, is later in that meal, Judas had, had already left, and so it was Jesus with the remaining 11. But what we find our Lord doing is something that is unexpected. He is uh, identifying the, the elements of this meal with himself. And the first element is the bread. When I lived in Thailand, the people there had this saying, Ginkao. And it means this, Let, let's eat rice. They wouldn't say, let's eat. They would say, let's eat rice. And the reason they said that is because rice is a staple food in that nation. And so even if they weren't going to eat any rice, which was rare, I mean, typically every meal they had rice, they would still say, Genkao, let's eat rice. Bread during the time of Jesus was like rice to the Thai people today. It was the, the staple food, not only in Israel, but throughout the Middle East. It's what the people ate with every meal whether they were eating breakfast or lunch or dinner. Bread was what, what filled their stomachs. It's what gave them their energy throughout the day. To them, bread was life. And so what we see in the, in the words of our Lord is Jesus proclaiming that, that this life-giving substance, this bread, was his body. Take, eat, this is my body. But not only is his body this, this life-giving bread, but it is a particular kind of bread as well. You see, during the Passover, the only bread that they were allowed to eat would have been bread that would have been unleavened. 
And this is significant because leaven or, or yeast was a, a representation of the impurities of this world, of all that is unclean. This is why in every Old Testament sacrifice, they were not to include leaven. They were not to include any yeast. Look at, look at Exodus 23, verse 18. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. Jesus is bread that is pure, is bread that is holy, that is unstained by the sins of this world. That's, that's who he is. He is this undefiled man who is obedient to his Father's law in all ways. And that is what he was proclaiming to his disciples. Take and eat. This is my body. But not only is he this sacred bread, but he is also a bread that is broken. A bread that is torn apart. And it is, it is done so that, so that each one might partake of this meal. You see, the, the symbolism that, that Jesus is using here was meant to evoke a harsh image of what would soon take place. For in less than 24 hours, these disciples would witness Christ's real body being broken as he would be whipped, as he would be beaten, and then nailed to a cross. This, this breaking of the bread was an object lesson for these men helping them to understand what was about to take place. And it is an object lesson for us as well. For every time we, we partake of the bread, it is both a reminder and a declaration that God became a man and physically suffered for our sake. You see, it, it should have been our bodies that had been whipped. It should have been our bodies that had been beaten. It should have been our hands and our, and our feet that were nailed to that cross. For that is what our sin deserves. But praise be to God that instead we get to take this bread, this bread that was broken for us, and eat. But bread wasn't the only element. Look, look at verse 27. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here we see the second element that Jesus is identifying with himself. The wine. And just as the bread was the common food among the people, so too the wine was a common drink. It's, it was what they consumed during a typical meal. But what, what Jesus is telling us is that, is that this, this wine is his blood. Again, we're, we're given this graphic, graphic imagery of what would, what would soon take place. 
For in just a short while, Jesus would have his, his flesh opened up, allowing the blood to pour forth. And whether it was flowing from his torn back or from the, the thorns penetrating his skull, whether it was from the nails that went through his hands and his feet, or from that, that Roman spear that went into his side, each and every drop of blood was poured out for your salvation. It flowed so that your sins could be washed clean. You see, this, this wine doesn't just symbolize any ordinary blood. No. For what does Jesus say? This is my blood. It's his blood. The blood of God incarnate. That's what was needed. That's what was needed. But he also says, my blood of the covenant. My blood of the covenant. Now these, these words would have, it would have had a specific meaning to these disciples. For they were, they were a reference from the book of Exodus. It's what we read earlier. It's from there that, that we see the establishment of the Mosaic Covenant, that, that agreement between Yahweh and his people. You see, God had, had freed the, the Israelites and had led them to Mount Sinai, where he had given to them his law. But after the law had been given, it was then that the people entered into a covenant relationship with their God. Let's look at that passage again. Look at Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent the young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. I hope you see this is, this is setting up the covenant that's about to take place. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bulls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Think about those words. We will obey. They were committing themselves to the law of God. And then listen to these words in verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the passage. 
This is the passage that Jesus was referring to at that Passover meal when he said, This is my blood of the covenant. Just as a sprinkling of the blood of bulls confirmed the people's promise to keep God's law, so too do we see the blood of Jesus confirming a new covenant. And yet here's the difference. You see, the covenant that that Moses established was based on our own ability, on how well we could keep God's law. But in this new covenant, this, this new blood that is poured forth and sprinkled upon the people, it's based on the ability of someone else. Someone who is much better than we are. You see, it was Jesus who fulfilled the law for us. And it is through his blood that he establishes this new covenant. This is what we find in the book of Hebrews. Look at, look at Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from, the, from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance that now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Dear friends, I hope you see this. Because this is what it is all about. In order for God's redemptive plan to work, he needed to establish a new covenant with his people. A covenant where he would be the one who would accomplish what we could not. A covenant that could, that could cleanse us, not only on the outside, but on the inside as well. A covenant that was established, not established by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, that spotless Lamb of God. And we, we who enter into this new covenant, we are the ones who benefit. For it is by His blood, His blood, that we receive the promised eternal inheritance. It was by his blood that was poured out for many that we can receive forgiveness of sins. Listen, it was necessary for Christ to establish a new covenant. And this is exactly what he was doing with his disciples during that Passover meal. 
But look at what he says at the end of our passage. Look at, look at verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Thus far, we have, we have looked both to the past and to the present. We, we have seen the type and shadow of God's redemptive covenant in the Old Testament. And we have seen the reality of God's salvation in the New. We have seen the bread and the, and the wine that point us to Jesus Christ, to his body and to his blood, to his sacrificial death on the cross. But now, Christ points us forward to a time when, when God's kingdom would be fully consummated, fully accomplished, when he will return at that, at that last coming to make all things new, when Christ will once again celebrate with us over a meal. It's in the book of Isaiah where we get a glimpse of, of what this feast will, will look like. Look at Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And so this Lord's Supper, this establishment of a new covenant, not only does it have a connection to the past, not only is it grounded in the present, but it also directs our eyes to the future. The future of this blessed, blessed hope of a new heavens and a new earth when we shall once again dine with our King in that glorious, glorious feast. And so while we see tragedy and the suffering of our Lord, we should also rejoice in what was accomplished at the cross. For our sins were, were wiped away and a new covenant was established. There will be no more death, no more tears. So yes, we should rejoice. And this is exactly what his disciples did as they finished that meal. Look, look at our last verse. Look at verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. After they had eaten, they, they sung a hymn. They were, they were singing together. And why shouldn't they? What a beautiful, beautiful picture of the Christian faith. A meal shared with one another. The bread of life broken for all to partake. The wine the blood of our Lord, which establishes a new covenant. A covenant that replaces the old covenant, which we couldn't keep anyways. And then the promised hope of a feast that is yet to come. 
where we will once again sit in front of our king, basking in his glory and in his kingdom. In just a few moments, we will join with the disciples and with all believers throughout all ages in this sacred meal. It is a time to remember all that our Lord has done for us. It is a time to reaffirm the, the, that new covenant that God has made with us. And it is a time to look forward to the reality of that eternal kingdom when you will once again feast with your king. Let's bow our heads. Father, this meal of which we are about to partake is, is sacred indeed. And not because there is anything special about the bread or the wine, but because this meal has been ordained by you. It is a reminder to us of what your son did on the cross, how his body was beaten, and how he bled in order to make us clean. It is an affirmation of that new covenant that brought about your redemptive plan, brought it about to fruition. And it is a compass that, that points the way to the future, that future feast when we shall sit at your table in that eternal kingdom. Because of these things, we enter into this time with joyful hearts. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.